Amen. Please be seated. It's a, very, it's a great pleasure for me to invite you uh, and in, in, introduce you to our speaker this morning, Lou Priolo. I just good not to feel alone up here, to have a fellow Sicilian up here sharing this area. There's not very many of us in Presbyterian churches, so it's always a real thrill to see someone from the motherland here to bring the word. Lou uh, is from New York originally, and he spent time here in Kansas City when he went to college, so he knows this area well. He's back uh, now for Calvary Bible College's uh, graduation ceremony. Uh, he is someone you are familiar with if you've been at Redeemer very long. We've used his books in Sunday school and in counseling and in Bible studies, book studies. Uh, he is a pastor, he is a teacher, and he is an author. Some of the books that we have on our table that uh, are f by Lou, The Heart of Anger, a great book for parents, especially understanding how we sometimes provoke our children to wrath, and it's an excellent, excellent help uh, biblically uh, for us to uh, read and to understand. The Complete Husband, uh, Teach Them Diligently, Getting a Grip, Picking Up the Pieces, and Pleasing People, just to name a few of these. He also edits uh, a helpful booklet series. It's called Resources for Biblical Living, and they're a series of booklets that we also have on the book table, uh, various counseling issues that uh, we come across. Any of us would come across. Uh, these booklets are very helpful. You can find them on the book table by Lou or edited by him. Also, his website has really hours of, of uh, MP3 uh, files of his teaching and his speaking on various biblical matters. Uh, he currently teaches at the Birmingham Theological Seminary. That's a seminary run by the first PCA church uh, in, that ever came into being. Uh, he travels frequently, uh, teaching pastors, laymen, uh, fellow counselors. And since 1998, he's been the director of the Biblical Counseling Center at Eastwood Presbyterian Church in Montgomery, Alabama. And he has uh, recently started the counseling ministry at Valleydale Baptist Church in Birmingham. It's a true uh, pleasure, and I'm grateful to God that Providence has allowed for Lou to be here in Kansas City this weekend and to bring uh, the word. Grazie, fratello. Bonavito. Brother, uh, after an introduction like that, now even I'm looking forward to hearing what I have to say. Would you please stand for the reading of God's word? I'll be reading from the 25th chapter of the book of Matthew, beginning in verse 14. For the kingdom of heaven will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. And he who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here, I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he who had received the two talents came forward, saying, Master, 
you delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. And I was afraid, and I hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful slave. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seeds. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, that at my coming I should have received what was mine own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to the one who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is God's word. It's the truth. Please be seated. Please bow with me for a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for this beautiful day, for this beautiful place where we can come and worship you and get instruction from your word. I pray, Father, this morning that the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts will be accepting to you in Christ's name. Amen. I'd like to focus your attention this morning on one particular character trait that is arguably the most important trait for Christian service. In fact, the development of this particular quality is so vital in ministry that I dare say if someone does not possess it, it will limit the amount of special assignments that will be given to him by those in not only spiritual authority, but even in the secular world. And most importantly, if you don't have this quality going on in your life, it's going to limit the amount of assignments you'll be given by God himself. Whatever one wants to do for the Lord, whether it's being a church officer or a missionary or a counselor or a Sunday school teacher or a member of the choir or nursery worker, or any other form of ministry, minister, to be truly qualified, he or she, you, must possess this virtue. virtue. The quality to which I'm referring is that of faithfulness. Moreover, Paul said, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. Now, what comes to your mind when you think of the word faithfulness? I mean, how do you picture it? It's one of those words that seems hard to understand, but really it's quite simple, as I hope you'll see by the time we're done today. Now, uh, maybe you're thinking to yourself, now look, I read my Bible every day, I go to church twice a week, you know, I give a tithe of all that I, I, I possess, um, and so I don't know that I really need to listen to this message. Well, if that's the way you're thinking, I want to challenge you that you may need to hear this message more than anyone, because the fact of the matter is, the more faithful we are as a rule, the more we realize how unfaithful we have been. Now, perhaps you're familiar with the Lord's teaching on forgiveness spoken of in Luke 17, chapter 3. The Lord says, be on your guard. He says, watch out. I'm about to hit you with some of the toughest teaching you've ever heard. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. 
And if he sins against you seven times in one day and seven times returns, saying, I repent, you must forgive him. Now, you also may remember how much incredulity the disciples had after he said that. I mean, you can't see in the English, but in the Greek, he, they basically said, you've got to be kidding. They said, increase our faith. And the Lord said, if you had faith like a mustard seed, you'd be able to say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and be planted into the sea, and it would obey you. And he tells this little parable. Which of you, having a slave, plowing or tending sheep, will say to him when he has come in from the field, come immediately and sit down to eat? But will he not say to him, prepare something for me to eat and properly clothe yourself and serve me while I eat and drink? And afterwards you may eat and drink. He does not thank that slave because he did those things which were commanded, does he? So you too, when you do all the things that are commanded you, say, we are unworthy slaves. We have only done that which is our duty to do. And so the disciples thought that they needed more faith before they could do what the Lord had asked them. But Jesus explained to them that it wasn't more faith they needed, it was more faithful obedience. I mean, they needed to do what they were expected to do by their master, regardless of how difficult it seemed, regardless of how long it took to accomplish the task. What was it that he asked them to do that created such incredulity? He asked them to forgive someone and to forgive seven times in one day. Now, I don't know if you've ever thought this through, but I've got a preacher friend who likes to set the story up this way. He says, imagine you're, you're standing there, not bothering anybody, just sort of minding your own business. And then out of the blue, somebody comes up to you, and, and maybe you're at like maybe a Christian function, okay? So someone comes up to you at some kind of a fellowship, new believer, just joined the church last week, just got radically saved three weeks ago. And he turns you around, and he punches you in the nose. And, you, and you know, your nose is throbbing, and it's starting to bleed a little bit, and, and you say, brother, what are you doing? And he says, oh, I'm so sorry, you said something, and I... I, I Look, before I became a Christian, I had this real temper. I mean, I, I, I lived in sin for so many years. Anyway, do, do you think you could find it in your heart to forgive me? Would you please forgive me? And, you know, you're kind of nurturing and cherishing your nose. And you say, okay, I forgive you, but, you know, please, like, stay over there, okay? Jesus says you have to forgive him. He doesn't say you have to trust him. So 10 minutes later, your nose is starting to throb, and all of a sudden, you know, you're relaxing, enjoying yourself again and again. He sneaks up behind you, and he turns around, and pow, he punches you in the nose again. And you say, what are you doing? You said you wouldn't do that anymore. Yeah, I know, I know. I, I got, I've got this temper. You know, I, I know about your temper. You said you wouldn't. I'm a new Christian. Please forgive me. Would you please forgive me? Now, imagine he does that, you know, not once or twice, but seven times in one day. I mean, the Lord says something pretty incredulous here. He says, if he comes to you seven times a day returning and says, please forgive me, you've got to forgive. Must not say you can't. You can't you know, talk to him about it. He said, look, brother, I'm willing to forgive you, but, you know, this is seven times in one day. Can we please sit down and talk about your anger problem? You know, but you've got to forgive him. In light of these difficult instructions, the apostles said, increase our faith. And Jesus did not take that as an appropriate response. He sort of took it as a cop-out, and he rebuked them with this parable. Faithfulness is something that has been valued in biblical leaders. Old Testament saints like Moses, Abraham, Daniel, David, 
and Nehemiah were all said to be faithful. In the New Testament, the Apostle Paul would identify many of his companions, his preaching companions or ministry companions, such as Timothy, Epaphras, Tychicus, Onesimus, and Silvanius as being faithful. And, of course, our model of faithfulness as Christians is the Lord Jesus Christ. People in leadership usually recognize the importance of faithfulness. King David understood it. In Psalm 101, he says, My eyes shall be on the faithful of the land that they may dwell with me. He who walks in a blameless way is the one who will minister to me. David wanted faithful men and women in his court. One summer, years ago, during my Calvary Bible College days, I got a summer job, and um, I worked for the college. And after I got the job, I decided to ask the management how much I would make per hour. And um, I'll never forget what he said. He said, Lou, we're going to start you out at $3.50 an hour. And after 30 days, if you do a real good job, we're going to let you keep it. Proverbs 25:19 warns, confidence in an unfaithful man in time of trouble is like a broken tooth or a foot out of joint. You cannot depend upon, you cannot trust unfaithful people. I had another professor at Calvary who when he would hand out the syllabi at the beginning of the course, he would say this, he, at the beginning of the class, he would say, <clears throat> uh, now look, if you expect to get an A, you need to do more than what I've asked you to do in a syllabus. You may get an A if you, just if you just meet the minimum requirements of the syllabus, but if you want to be sure that you'll get an A, you need to go the second mile. Now, let's consider this parable of the talents found in Matthew 25. I want to break this passage open, and we're not going to look at every verse in detail, but there are three important elements of faithfulness that I want to unpack for you this morning. Beginning in verse 14. For the kingdom of heaven is just like a man to go on a journey, about to go on a journey. And he called his own slaves and entrusted to them his possessions. The Greek word here, entrusted, means to commit, to give someone a responsibility. So the first thing we have to understand about faithfulness is that it, it involves being given a responsibility. God has entrusted each of us with a variety of of specific responsibilities. The responsibilities may be in the form of gifts or talents or abilities or tasks or vocational duties or ministries. So we all have responsibilities that have been assigned to us directly by God or indirectly through His agents. Now, of course, there are two types of responsibilities in life. The responsibilities that we enjoy doing and the responsibilities that we don't enjoy doing. And What's true for most of us, unfortunately, is at the end of the week, at the end of the day, at the end of the month, at the end of the deadline, we've fulfilled the responsibilities that we enjoy doing, and we've let go the responsibilities that we didn't enjoy doing. But a faithful Christian fulfills his responsibilities whether he feels like it or not, whether he wants to do them or not. An unfaithful person is the person who's feeling oriented. An unfaithful person does what he feels like doing, doesn't do what he doesn't feel like doing. You say, but when I don't feel like doing something and I do it anyway, I feel like such a hypocrite. Well, I think you have a feeling-oriented view of hypocrisy. It's not, it's not hypocrisy to feel one thing and do something else. It's hypocrisy to profess one thing and do something else. I mean, the first thing I did this morning, I did against my feelings. I got out of bed. You think I felt like getting out of bed? 
You know, but a few minutes later, you know, especially after a cup of coffee, I was thankful that I was able to get out of bed and come here and minister to you this morning. Now, if I were to stand up here and say, oh, I just loved getting out of bed this morning, then you can call me a hypocrite. Someone has defined responsibility this way, knowing and doing what God and others are expecting of me. Do you know what God and others are expecting from you? If you're faithful, you really do. With what stewards have you been entrusted? What responsibilities? Think about that for a minute. What has God given you right now? What responsibilities have been entrusted to you? To grow as a Christian? A lot of people today are just expecting God to zap them with some kind of infusion of grace without any effort or cooperation on their part with the sanctification process. To be the loving leader of your home? To be a helper, ladies, to your husband? To honor and obey your parents, not just on Mother's Day or Father's Day, but 365 days a year. To be a faithful employee or employer at work. To serve others in ministry. To balance the checkbook. To actively participate in your local church. To study and do all of your homework. To keep the possessions entrusted to you in good repair. Let's look at verse 15. To the one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, each one according to his own ability, and he went on his journey. Now, it's not really ability that counts so much because God's given each of us gifts and talents. And as the, as the text says, you know, what do you have that you have not received, Paul says? Nothing. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. So the gifts and abilities that we have, we really can't take credit for. They're gifts of God. We have to be good stewards of them. That's the issue. Not how many gifts I have or, or how God has gifted me in this way, but whether they're great gifts or little gifts, how faithfully am I discharging those gifts and responsibilities? How faithfully am I ministering the gifts that God has given me, not for my glory, not so that I can see, look at how good I am, that's not why God gave us our gifts and abilities, but how well am I using the gifts and abilities that God has given me to glorify God and to minister to others? Immediately, the one who had received the five talents went and traded them and gained five more talents. In the same manner, the one who had received the two talents gained two more. But he who had received the one talent went away and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. Now, after a long time, the masters of those slaves, the master of those slaves came and settled accounts with them. Now, the word settled accounts is a word that has to do with accountability. It's an accountability kind of word. And that's the second element of our process of, of faithfulness. So let me just sort of explain it this way, okay? Let's, let's, think, of a, let's think of a stair step, okay? A, a, stair, a staircase that we're looking at from the side, okay? So the first level of the, um, of the accountability of the faithfulness process has to do with the fact that we're given a responsibility. Then... The next rung, the, the, the vertical piece that sort of connects the first step to the second step, that's the second element of this process, and that is accountability. The King James Version renders the phrase, settled accounts with them, as reckoneth. 
you and I will be held accountable for faithfully fulfilling the responsibilities with which God has entrusted us. The same phrase is translated in Matthew 18, 23, the parable of the unforgiving servants, this way. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slave. So there's the accountability, the settling of accounts. Now, the fact is, we are all accountable to someone. Those under your authority are accountable to you. You're accountable to your boss. In the ecclesiastical sense of the word, you're accountable to the elders of your church. The elders and pastors of your church are accountable in, in one, on one level to you, but another level to the Presbyterian, on and on it goes. And we are all accountable to God. Every one of us, the Bible says, will give an account of himself to God. Now, one of the most important things about principle number two is that without principle number two, without the accountability, there would be no principle number three. And to me, principle number three is the coolest principle. It has to do with the rewards. The third step, the the second step, really, the third part of the process, okay, is rewards. So you've got, first, accountability. You've got responsibility, sorry. Then you've got accountability. And then there is reward. All right, you with me? Now, you and I will be rewarded according to our faithfulness. And the one who had received the five talents came up and brought five more talents, saying, Master, you entrusted five talents to me. See, I've gained five talents more. And his master said to him, here comes the reward. Well done, you good and faithful slave. He gets commendation, right? You were faithful over a few things. I will put you in charge, and I'll note the phrase here, I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. The one who had received the two talents came and said, Master, you entrusted to me two talents. See, gained two more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Now, good has to do with what I am, including my motives. Faithful has to do with what I do, with what has been given me. So he says, well done, good and faithful servant. So part of the reward, okay, use our illustration here, part of the reward, the second level or the third step, is commendation. But a much more important part of the reward, when we execute our responsibilities faithfully, is the fact that we're given more responsibility. You see it? You've been faithful over a few things. I will make you master over many. You start out with responsibility. You're held accountable. You're rewarded. And part of the reward, guess what? Is more responsibility. And then you start all over again. Okay? Responsibility. Let me do it this way. Responsibility. Accountability. and And reward. You just go up the ladder, little by little. That's the idea. Now, if you don't get anything else that I said up to this point, please make sure you understand this one thing. Faithfulness involves a future reward based on the fulfillment of our past responsibilities. The things that you have learned from me in the presence of many witnesses, what? The same commit to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. If you faithfully respond fulfill the responsibilities that God has given you, 
you will be honored not only in a sense of commendation, but you will be given additional responsibilities. And that begins the next phase of the process and up the ladder you go. If you don't faithfully fulfill the responsibilities you've been given, you will not be entrusted or rewarded with greater responsibilities. You see, there's a negative part of this principle as well. The one, verse 24, the one who had received the one talent came up and said, Master, I knew you were a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. And I was afraid and I went away and hid your talents in the ground. See, look, you have what is yours. But his master said to him, you wicked, lazy slave, you knew that I reap where I did not sow and gathered where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have put my money in the bank on my arrival. I would have at least had my money back with interest. By the way, that's a good term for a perfectionist, at least. He didn't have to do as well as the other guys did. Therefore, take away the talent from him and give it to the one, the one who has ten talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from him who does not have, even what he does not have will be taken away. The unfaithful slave received condemnation rather than commendation instead of receiving additional responsibilities. Rather, the few responsibilities that he had were taken away from him. So here's a definition of faithfulness extrapolated from the aforementioned passage. Faithfulness is demonstrating to God and others that I can be trusted with more and more responsibilities based on my past performance or my past achievement. So from now on, what Jesus said, Luke 12, 28, everyone to whom much was given, of him much will be required. And from him who they entrusted much, they will demand the more. So from now on, every time you read the word faithfulness in the Bible, you'll know what it means. Let me give you three synonyms, okay? When you see the word faithfulness in the Bible, what it means is that you're reliable. Faithfulness is reliability. It means that you're dependable. It's dependability. It means that you are trustworthy. Trustworthiness. That's it in a nutshell. Now, have you ever considered what the greatest obstacle to faithfulness might be? I mean, what's the opposite of faithfulness? Well, let's go back to Matthew 25 and take another look at three verses. Verse 24 through 26, because it tells us the answer. What's the opposite of faithfulness? See if you can figure it out. And the one who had received the one talent came up and said, Master, I know you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed, and I was afraid. And I went and I hid your talent in the ground. See, you have what is yours. But his master said unto him, You wicked, lazy slave. Good and faithful versus wicked and lazy. What's the opposite of good? Come on, it's interactive here. And w wicked, right. And what's the opposite of faithful? Lazy, exactly. Laziness is not the only thing, but it's one of the biggest things that keeps us from fulfilling our responsibility. I don't know if you've ever stopped to think about it, but, you know, Brother Nathan, myself, <clears throat> Tony, as biblical counselors, I mean, we, a big part of our job each and every day is debunking people of their excuses. And that's the chief characteristic of a lazy person is that he's filled with excuses. I can't forgive him. I can't go back to my wife. I can't stop that habit. I can't do this and that. And, of course, my typical response as a biblical counselor is you can't say can as a Christian. And they look at me like, huh, what? 
If God says you can do something, you can't say can't. What do you mean? I can do all things through him who strengthens me, and if God says you can do it, you can do it, or at least you can learn how to do it. I mean, the excuses go on and on, you know. Well, I don't know. You, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. I'm kind of old. Well, I don't know. I'm not a dog trainer. You know, maybe that's true about dogs. But the Bible says you can change, and you must change at any age. I mean, over and over again, people have these excuses that we have to deal with. It's just the way I am. Well, God says you're going to have to be different. You know, you get the idea. I mean, what these people are basically saying is, look, please excuse me from fulfilling my biblical responsibilities because my case is different. Well, your case is not different. The Bible says, there's no temptation that's overtaken you, but such as is common to man. Let's talk finally about three tests of a faithful person. In Luke chapter 16, we, run, we find three tests of a faithful man or woman. And by the way, right before these three tests are given, beginning in verse 10, there's this parable of an unjust steward. And in that parable, we can see the same three things. The unjust steward was given a responsibility. He was given a stewardship, given a, right? He's given a stewardship. And then <clears throat> he was held accountable. Give an account of your stewardship, and then he was rewarded. For you may no longer be steward. Anyway, you can check that out this afternoon or sometime this week. But let's jump to verse 10. The first characteristic <coughs> of a faithful, a test of a faithful man, is that he's faithful in little things. He was faithful in little, is faithful in much also. He who is unjust in very little things is unrighteous also in much. And so, from God's perspective, little things are important. Little things like promises you made, like the ministries that you've assumed, little things like thank you notes and good table manners and keeping the car clean and returning telephone calls and, you know, household repairs that you promised your wife you would do or young people chores that you told your mom, you know, three hours ago you would accomplish. Little things like le reading the directions before you try to assemble something. Little things like good grammar. I spelled two words wrong, and the teacher gave me an F. I don't understand it. Of course, the two words were the teacher's name. Little things are important to God. Now, the second test of a faithful man we see in verse 11 is faithful, faithfulness in finances. Right? What does it say? If you've not been faithful in the use of unrighteous wealth, who will commit the truth to you? And the word riches, or who will, commit, who will give you true riches, the word riches is not in the text. What it literally says is, if you've not been faithful in the use of your money, who will commit the truth? As in the truth of this book, who will commit the truth to you? There's a real correlation in the Bible between the way that we handle our money and the way that we handle the truth of God's word. Jesus spoke more about heaven and hell than he, uh, money rather. He spoke more about money than he did about heaven and hell put together. A lot in the Bible about finances. And if you're not good at handling your money, you're not going to be good at handling the truth of his word. And then the third test of a faithful person is faithfulness in that which belongs to another person. Verse 12, if you've not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? Stewardship involves the management of another person's goods. One summer, I had the opportunity to, um, while I was at Calvary, I had the opportunity to work at a farm in, in Broken Bow, Nebraska. And if you haven't figured it out by my Brooklynese accent, I'm from New York City. 
And, um, you know, I got to work on a farm this summer in Broken Bow, Nebraska. And, I, you know, I got to drive a, a, a really cool, brand spanking new, you know, gazillion dollar, so my boss thought, uh, John Deere tractor with an air-conditioned cab and a cassette radio, and it was really cool. But one day, um, my boss asked me if I would move the tractor. It was parked at one end of the driveway, and to move it off of the driveway to another part of the property. So I jumped on the tractor, I turned the key, and I started engaging. And I went about, I don't know, six or seven, seven yards, and I noticed that, like, the tractor was slower than it normally is. So, you know, I turned around, and I guess I should tell you, you know, in New York City, when we park our John Deere tractors, we, we park them, you know, with the disc down, you know, the, the equipment down instead of up. No, not really. So I turned around, I, I just, the, the, the disc was down, I, I disced his driveway. And so I had to spend hours going back there with a shovel, you know, trying to fill in his driveway. It's, it's, thankfully, it was a dirt driveway, but still. I had a professor whose personal policy it was um, that he would never borrow anything without giving it back in better condition than the condition it was in which uh, when, when he borrowed it. He'd fix it, he'd clean it, he'd paint it, he'd do something to it. You know, Jesus borrowed a lot of stuff. I don't know if you ever thought about it, but he borrowed a manger. He borrowed food. Remember the fish and the bread? He borrowed boats and cups. He borrowed a colt. He borrowed an upper room. He even borrowed a tomb. And, you know, whether... His disciples understood this or not. If they didn't understand it, you can be sure that he told them that he needed to, they needed to take good care of that which they borrowed and returned it, return it in better condition than it was when they received it. Well, I hope you have a clearer understanding of what it means to be faithful. So just to quickly review, there's the working definition of, defini- of, of uh, faithfulness, demonstrating to God and others that I can be trusted with greater and greater responsibilities based on the faithful execution of my former responsibilities, then there are the principles, the three principles of accountability, of faithfulness, rather, right? There's, what's the first one? Responsibility. Second one, accountability. And the third one, reward. Very good. And then finally, there are the three synonyms, okay? To be faithful means to be dependable. It means to be reliable. It means to be trustworthy. That's the kind of person the Lord is looking for to put into his service. As Paul told Timothy, I thank Christ Jesus, my Lord, who enabled me, for he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. Let's pray. Father, thank you for what this passage and others teach us about the stewardship that you've given us. Indeed, you've given us a lot of stewardships in life, all of us, not the least of which is the stewardship of communicating the gospel to others. I pray that you'd help us in big things, in little things, in all of life, to first of all understand how unfaithful we have been and to give us the grace, the wisdom, the desire, the humility, whatever it takes to be faithful, even as our Lord Jesus Christ was faithful, even as the book of Hebrews says, in all of his house. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.